welcome to you. Folks, if you're, if you're our guest here this morning, uh, you are super welcome. You are especially welcome. This is a special Sunday, a special service. We've never kind of done anything like this before, but uh, my name's Paul, and uh, Chantal and I and a number of us, we, we have the joy and the privilege of leading uh, this community of people. We take relationship with God really seriously. Uh, we uh, know because we've experienced his love for us and that he is deeply passionate about each and every heart in this room and uh, cares deeply for us and is in pursuit of relationship with us. And so we love him deeply. We take relationship with him really seriously, but we don't kind of take ourselves too seriously. And what I mean by that is we, we're quite relaxed and we're quite informal, uh, but we're super intentional about building deep and meaningful relationship with one another as well. God's called us to be uh, in relationship with one another and do life together and have community together. And through fulfilling what are basically the two greatest commandments, which I've just explained, he helps us to fulfill what's called the Great Commission. And that's to go into all the world and uh, to share what God has already given us. And we had the privilege of going to Ethiopia just before Easter. We were there for 10 days. And uh, these are 10 of 12 of us, very biblical, um, who went to Ethiopia. I'm going to briefly introduce who they are because many of you won't know who they are. And uh, then they're going to take a seat. And then one by one, they're going to share just a little bit of their story. And our hope is that you just get a bit of a flavor, a bit of a snapshot of uh, where we went and why we went and what did we do when we were there. This is Gillian. Uh, Gillian is... Uh, She's so blessed because she has a fantastically talented and gracious uh, boss. And um, she Gillian's <laughs> 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 our children's pastor. And, uh, and, and next to Gillian is Gail, who is related to one of the team here. I wonder, I wonder if you can work out which one it is. Uh, same color hair. We could kind of go down the line. You haven't got much hair at the minute. Um, but yes, it's Jillian. And this is Suzanne. And uh, Suzanne became part of the team through, um, where's Corin? Corin's here? Corin's over here. They work together. And uh, Suzanne was heard about the trip, and she was so enthusiastic about it. She wrote me a handwritten letter asking to come. Like, I can't remember the last time I had a handwritten letter. It's amazing. Uh, and this is Evie, who's been part of our church for a good while, and she is a great member of the team. Uh, this is Bobby. Bobby and I have known each other for a couple of years now. Uh, we know each other um, through, I wonder if you've, you, some of you are probably sitting there looking at this man's face thinking, I recognize that face from somewhere. Now, if you live in Carrick Fergus and as you're driving the car around the streets here and you're glancing at these funny looking dressed people paving the streets running, this is probably, you've probably seen this man because he probably runs more miles than anyone else I know in Carrick Fergus. This is Bobby. I know from running, this is Jeff, who's been a part of our church from the very beginning. Isn't that right? And uh, Jeff's a good guy. <laughs> I can't think of anything else to say about him, to be honest. He's a good guy. We like Jeff. And this is Emma, who's been a part of our church for a good while now. And uh, you are a daughter of Hugo. And uh, it's good to have you. And, uh, and that's it. She's a good girl. And uh, this is Andy Ham, who's been part of our church for, I'm going to guess, a year and a half or so. Andy is part of our uh, youth team here and is a good bloke, works with Pete up in Ballystillen. 
And this is Johnny, who was our leader for the week and worked for Stand By Me and will be familiar for many of you. Why don't you give them a round of applause as they take their seats? Whenever Chantel and I and a number of us, we planted the church here, uh, we, our desire was always to, um, was to partner uh, and give away some of the money that we knew was going to come to us through generous giving, through people that were gathering communities here. And we wanted to give away uh, money locally, which is what we do. Uh, through various organizations, but we wanted to partner with people internationally. It just so happened at a similar time that we started this church that a dear friend of ours, Alistair Bennett, who's a teacher here in Carrick College, he had just come back from Ethiopia and had the most profound experience and time there and started to volunteer and work for Stand By Me. And it just seemed so right that we as a church would partner with them as a charity, as an organization working uh, in Ethiopia. Over the years, uh, I checked, checked with Johnny there, over the years we have, as a community, as a church, we have given over 11,500 pounds uh, towards uh, the work of Stand By Me. We've sponsored five children. We are currently still sponsoring four children. And uh, we invest into two schools in Bokaji, which we're going to see about, and developing more recently, Denby Dale. And we wanted to do it simply because we're in the business of changing lives and changing communities. And that was our desire. And even though they're hundreds and thousands of miles away, uh, we wanted to make a difference in those places. Why did we go? Well, we wanted, this is going to sound very business-like, we wanted to see the return of our investment. We wanted to see with our eyes where the money, where the resources that we have generously given are being put to use. And you will hear that it is being invested well because it is changing individuals' lives, families' lives, and a whole community's lives. It is absolutely incredible what's happening. And the other reason is I wanted to bring a team of people to share the story because otherwise you're just going to keep hearing from me and from Johnny over the years and we get a bit boring after a while, I know. And so, uh, so uh, it was just so good to bring a whole bunch of other people. And they have their own stories that they're going to share with us this morning. I want to invite up Jeff and then Evie. They're going to just briefly say, why did they choose to be a part of the Chantel Center? Over to you, Jeff. Right, I've been told I've only got a minute. Am I right, Paul? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, this came up. Several years ago, um, I had a friend who had gone before to Africa. And I suppose over the years, you hear so much. It's really hard to fully appreciate what it is that people go through before they go on. So when this opportunity came up again, firstly, it was like 10 days away, no kids. And if you won, who wouldn't go? You know, um, but... I think it was more an opportunity for me to see for myself um, and live the story that I heard through all those years and also just to give back. So that's there are lots of other reasons for me going, but I suppose they would be the main ones. Um, is that my time? 
When I first heard about the team going to Ethiopia, I knew immediately I wanted to go because as I've been on travel mission trips previously, I know the support and encouragement it can be to those we visit who are in need and the difference it makes to them to receive God's love through others. And also it can be life-changing for our participants on our team. Another reason specifically I wanted to go <coughs> is to visit my sponsor child, Lydia. Although I sponsor other children in various places, it is rare to get the opportunity to visit them. Uh, so it's great to meet Lydia and to see her at school and learn more about her. Uh, and that made the trip even more special. So, uh, so what did we do while we were there, I guess, is uh, the big question. You go to Ethiopia for 10 days and, and how do you spend your time? And I guess for us, it, it was a balance of a number of things. You want to be doing things that are really practical, but equally, you want to leave space to get to respond to whatever God brings into your path while you're there. And so I guess for us, the big picture of, of what we did was quite simply we went to try and be a blessing um, to the kids in the school, to the staff that are there as well. And the irony of it all is you go with the intention of being a blessing and, and that form of a blessing when you've probably been able to bless the people and so I guess for the rest of this morning what we want to do is we want to share a, a few of the practicalities of, of what we did but really to try and scratch the surface of, of some of the stories that we got to be part of so Gillian and Andy are going to handle some of the practicalities and then we're going to get stuck in to a few of the stories. From the moment we arrived at school we knew that our time there would melt our hearts and that we would leave receiving more than we could ever give. The whole school turned out to greet us um, with flowers and singing, which was wonderful. Uh, we found the welcome warm and genuine, not just when we arrived, but in the classrooms and also in the homes that we visited. A typical day for the kids started at 7 o'clock in the morning where they arrived at school for breakfast. Um, at 8.30 they had assembly and they, um, they lined up military style, spaced themselves out one arm length apart and stood there and listened, nobody talking, not like school assembly tour at all. Uh, lessons started at 8.30 and finished at 3.30, but they did have a longer lunch so that they could stagger the lunch because there are 400 kids in the school. Um, there was no play equipment for when they went outside, but the boys played football just like they would anywhere. Classrooms were um, stark, there was nothing on the walls at all and they had no resources kids, so basically the teacher stood at the blackboard and talked all day long and just wrote things on the board and then wrote them down in their books. It was like school 50 years ago. Um, our role was to teach seven 45-minute lessons a day. We started at the kindergarten and we worked right up to grade six. Um, this made a for a busy day and was quite exhausting just trying to keep track of what we were teaching and who was meant to be there. Um, PE lessons, uh, we started with... Um, the PE lessons were great fun. We went outside the school onto a big, um, just big rocky area, and it was just in the middle of where all everybody lived. So all the local kids came and watched, and as they watched all these white people jumping up and down and hopping and doing like really random things. Um, parachute games proved to be great fun, but very chaotic at times. <laughs> if you want to hear those stories, talk to Gail. <laughs> um, science and technology lessons was a huge hit as Bethany's school was flooded with paper planes, balloons, hovercrafts, and straw rockets. 
Um, Bobby's fantastic explanations of the engineering elements of these uh, lessons took it to a higher academic level for our future Ethiopian engineers. Um, if you really need to see something exciting, you want to see Bobby's explaining how to clean your teeth. Um, there's a video of that, so for a small fee, which will be donated to Stand By Me, you can see that. It will never be forgotten. Um, the Bible stories were a great opportunity to share God's love with the younger kids. It was a new experience for me to do it through a translator, but the guy who was translating wants to be a preacher, so it was really good practice for him. I'm not sure how he loved having to do all my actions and gestures, but it was good fun watching him. Um, we did lots of arts and crafts and stuff with that group as well. It was a real team effort. Um, my thoughts and reflections, the things that struck me the most on the trip was the fact that the kids are the same all over the world. They squabble over scissors and glue sticks the minute you put them on the table. They're constantly looking for the teacher's attention. They love to play football at lunchtime, plait their friend's hair. They love balloons, bubbles, and quotes. But most of all, they want to be noticed, acknowledged, and loved. But what made these kids different was the fact that they never complained. They had the same thing to eat every day. The boys made crowns, and they loved it. Gender stereotypes didn't exist, or certainly not within school anyway. They have big dreams. They want to be doctors and engineers. They don't want to be footballers. They know the value of school, and they understand the chance that they have to work hard, get good grades, and they don't complain about homework. They show genuine respect for their teachers and for all adults in general, no matter who they were. They spoke kindly and generously about their friends, but very humbly about themselves. The translators that we had were four past pupils who wanted to give back to the school. They are an example of what this program is um, producing. They are Stand By Me's legacy.
Play is an absolute machine. I mean, this wee just got followed us and we beat the world for some kind of a reason for spin twos. We have all these forensies following us, chatting about and the nearly were dinged. And so Kefley comes over, there's this bit of a bed, me and Andy were walking about and something, and I was sitting probably like a centimeter proud, and I was like, Craig and Michael are dead. He's either he's dead, and Kefley comes over and he pats me on the back, and he's a bit of one hand, so pulled a bit of weight off. And and the old knocker in there tried putting on him, this is a stink, this is a stink. Kept patting him, I was like, there's a knot in the wood or something. Kefley took it down, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, see ya. <laughs> so that's me done. Um, but a bed is, is such an amazingly transformative thing. Um, it's a luxury, it really is. And uh, I guess for us, the beauty of, of getting to be in Buffalo is just to have the space to step in to the stories of our kids. Um, so we went out. As Andy said, we visited a few homes, and one of the homes was this home here that was displaying a little photograph. This is Muhammad's house. Um, it's not a particularly large house. It's 2.7 meters wide by 2.3 meters long. And we went out to visit Muhammad because we heard a little bit of his story. And every kid in Buffalo has a story to share, but some just stick out that little bit more deeply than others. And Muhammad was one of those stories. He'd been enrolled into the project, and he'd lost his mum whenever he was quite young, and then he got enrolled into the school, and his dad was actually one of the guys who helped him down build the school whenever he built in Buffalo. Uh, just a few months before they arrived, his dad was heading off to work and was involved in a motor accident, and he actually had a family death at the hospital, but unfortunately he passed away in the hospital. So we're sitting here and his story, and we want to go and, and visit his house, this guy who lives in such extremes of poverty anyway, but now is trying to feed the people in Rome Bear. And so we went and we sat in his home with Muhammad here, and he sat and he shared a little bit more of his story. And I guess as, as we sat and as we looked around his house, we had a small bed there, and we're like, who sleeps here? He's like, well, my sister Farrell sleeps there, and, and my auntie as well. And I said, well, where do you sleep? And he pointed to this little patch, no more than about 1.6 meters by about a meter. And again, similar to the other beds, just bags full of scraps of plastic. And he was like, that's my life. And so we made him cry. Um, we couldn't fix everything for him. There's so much heartache in his life and in his story that it only begged for a wee quick fix. Um, but we made him a promise. And the promise was that before we would leave, that he would have a bed. And as Andy said, not only 
to lead that and provide that for them, but we want to as prorate to some way to guide the system, pay for actual systems to own, and as we prepare the lesson, I think it's fair to say people just want a reaction. Just when we, we took it back, and originally we'd sort of measured the space, and it was 1.6 meters by a meter, and we thought we're going to have to cut it down to size and all the rest, and this guy's tall, he's about 13 years old, and he's probably about this height, so he's going to get bigger and bigger, and he was like, I don't, I don't want a small bed, he was like, I want a proper bed, and so it was made as a proper bed, and we took it up to the house, and I was like, oh my God, we're going to have like absolutely no space. The next thing, everything starts coming out of the house. Everything gets rebuilt a little bit, and one bed gets pushed to this wall, and the other bed gets slotted in, and there's like 40 centimeters of space between these two beds. And I guess for me, the, the highlight probably of, of all of the time in Bethlehem was the next morning. It was the morning that we were getting ready to go. It was Saturday morning. Mohammed came down, gave me a big hug, and said, how did you sleep? I said, it was a fantastic sleep. I can't complain. And I guess for me, it's, it's simple things like that, that love in word and, and in action. And so uh, I guess for me, as I left, I left constantly checking in with myself. It was, we continue to make sure that I'm not settled and that as as God does that, we would continue to be able to invest in that person. Uh, we have a program called Keeping Families Together, and it's for families who live in the real extreme end of poverty, and, and we give them a little bit of financial help every single month. And when we're sitting in Mohammed's house, he said to me, he said, how does that mental health? And he said, look, Danny, to be honest, it's four or five grand. He said, they get 300 there a month, which is about but it costs us 250 there to rent this little hovel of a mud hut. And I was like, 250 there for free. So I turned around to one of our staff that were with us, and it just sums up the heart of, of what happens in Bethlehem. I said, what can we do about that? And he just turned around and said, we'll double it. We don't have the money for it, but we'll double it because we want to see that it's worth God's love to the family. And so uh, that's a little glimpse into Muhammad's story um, as a Christian family in Bethlehem. When I was in Ethiopia, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to visit two families in the home. But the one that impacted on me most was Gita. So Gita um, lives in a small monk house with her two siblings and her mom and her dad. Now, her dad had had a motor accident and um, he was no longer able to work due to an injury he had to one of his legs. So her mother worked um, as a beggar in one of the hotels in town, but she only worked as and when she was needed. So she, they really were struggling. They weren't getting money all the time. So when it was required, they kept Gita home from school just to do whatever work she could, just to bring in a bit of extra income. So I think the thing that touched me most whenever we went to meet this family was their hospitality. Firstly, because I'm one of the most inhospitable people you will ever meet. I'm the kind of person who goes home, closes the door, and keep the world out. If I want to see you, I'll go and see you. I don't bring you into my home to see, to see you. So I was really touched because this family had nothing. And the next photograph will show you their entire possessions. Now, this is a family of five, and this is everything that they own in the whole world. The clothes that they wore were the only clothes that they had. They, you know, they wore them every day. They slept in them. It was that was just what it was. But this family welcomed us into their home, as though we were close friends or family. 
and the mother wasn't there and the father dispatched Peter to go to her work to bring her to meet us. So they were willing to sacrifice some of the little income that they had just to spend time with us. So it really was it really was touching. And what also was amazing about the experience was the joy that we had. And I, I just see Dan and Bobby and they will agree with me. Um, we, la- we were there for probably two, two and a half hours and we laughed and joked. And the father was a real character. He entertained us from, from the minute that we went in. Um, we talked about all sorts of things. We talked about Messi. We talked about running. And we talked about how Bobby's arms weren't as soft as they looked. <laughs> it really was very entertaining. Um, but this family who had nothing, they shared their coffee with us and we had a snack with them. But they invited us back on Easter Sunday for dinner. Even We weren't able to make it every week we were coming home. But again, they were willing to share the little that they had with three strangers who had come into their home. Another thing that um, really spoke to me was their faith. Um, Again, they had nothing. Every day looked the same, you know, just surrounded by poverty. Yet they believed that God would meet their needs. They believed that God could change their situation. Um, The mother said they they barely were surviving, but she told us that she just trusted that God would give them everything that they needed. Another thing that really um, touched me just as well was was the hope. Um, they again, they hoped they had hope in God that their situation would change, but they also had hope because of the work that Stand by Me was doing. They were so thankful for the work um, that Stand by Me were doing. We delivered the bed, and obviously, um, Stand by Me were meeting their needs in other ways. But um, it was lovely just to see this in action, and I didn't. I mean, it was challenging being there, and at times I really had to struggle to hold it together. But when I left, I left the family with just an overwhelming sense of hope um, and that good things could happen. I I couldn't have enough other notes here, but I'll try to make it. Uh, I, I want just want to, rather than saying what I did, is simply try to express some of the feelings and some of the uh, the emotions that, that I experienced when I, I was away. Uh, and even before we left, um, in the weeks leading up to our trip, uh, I had uh, those stretches of excitement and anticipation, and uh, there was quite a bit of anxiety too, because I didn't know what I was going to uh, experience, and I was going with a group of people that I, I knew very little about. But as soon as we got together, uh, we gelled very quickly, gelled very well, and I knew that it was going to be a good team and that we were all going to get on very well. Uh, When we got to Ethiopia, there were so many special moments during the week. uh, I just want to share a few of them quickly. Uh, When we arrived at the school, um, as soon as we got out of our minibuses, we had a parade uh, and a welcome party for us. that was uh, an enormous occasion. It was in a great way. Uh, these young kids, it was like uh, uh, a guard of honour. They had them as their, their teachers. Um, they had on their caps the headmaster of the school. Um, uh, and they sang and they, uh, and they were cheering and they brought us, brought us up sometimes uh, down to meet the, uh, 
that was standing at the gate of the field today in Kilmeny at that point, and uh, I mean it was a wonderful start to our trip. Um, during the week, then we moved further. We took some time resting and some time ashore <coughs> on a piece of rich, rough ground outside the school grounds. And the kids had a great time. Uh, some of the running they were doing uh, rollovers, uh, and they loved it. But it when we were going out to the uh, this piece of rough ground, the kids that weren't at the school would follow us. They'd come along with us and they'd watch what we were doing. And it always struck me <coughs> during one of these lessons, because I felt really sorry for the these other kids, because they were standing there in blues that were torn. Some of them didn't have any shoes. They just looked like the poorest of the poor people uh, that I've ever seen in my life. And it struck me that these kids who looked so poor were actually probably slightly better off than a lot of the kids at the school because of the school targets the poorest people in the community and so they were bringing a place that was so joyful and they'd lifted them above where they had seen before so it always struck me it was a good work that Bethany School and uh, Stand By Me were carrying out and it was obviously successful and it was just a pity that what they are doing is uh, is wonderful over there. Uh, um, there's another moment that Christine mentioned earlier there about doing the guys that did this doing the home visits at the old entry to Judith's house. Um, I was expecting it to be a sort sort of awkward because it would be great to spend some time with the family family scene. We didn't have with them. Uh, it was, uh, like I say, I was expecting it to be an awkward moment of sitting there and then making coffee. And when we made coffee, we didn't just, like I said, knock back into hot water into it. We put the green coffee beans and outside and roasted them, brought them in, ground them up, and it was a whole process. It was a whole ceremony. They went through and spent a lot of time with us. And they did. They laughed and they joked. And it was... Uh, it was a joyous time, and uh, I really wasn't expecting that. And it was, it was, it was stay with me uh, for a long, long time. And uh, we had a lot of laughs. We had forgotten some of the things that I'd actually said to Father Stuart, as I mentioned earlier. And the family, they're not, they're not full of any self-pity. They're not full of any resentment. They're just getting on with their lives with the, uh, the hardship as well. And uh, they're getting the help from Stand By Me, and that's almost enough just to get them over the extreme poverty and get them on the, the way to a bit more success. And there's also been mentioned earlier, the, the kids from these really poor families, they didn't have limited aspirations. You know, there's so many of them in those areas, and the vast majority of them went to doctors, and two or three went to brain surgeons. And that's not just talk. I mean, they went and got their throats uh, straightened up, and they, they worked on their own lives, and then they went off to try some brain surgeries as well at Bethany School. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, and also, I think that the parents of the kids, we learned a lot, or I learned a lot from them, rather than the other way around. Because I think uh, we felt as much as not more commiserated uh, than the people over there. Uh, finally, I was a bit dismayed whenever I got back home. It's uh, it is like a lifetime experience, but I was a bit discouraged by myself because I 
that that is an indication of why things seamlessly either too easy to uh, too grateful to Paul and everyone here for having to talk to strangers to to share these stories but bringing it all back to me um, uh, things that I had forgotten things that I still have the Lord says again that uh, his brotherhood is so greater than the life itself so thank you all very much So I know that you've filled with all these stories and while everybody's really interested, you maybe only have a wee snapshot of which story to tell and it was taken this long to tell some of these stories. So I tried to really, um, um, what, what stood out most for me, and for me it was the child sponsorship program. And while all the stories were had a massive impact, the child sponsorship program was really um, just, that's the one thing I wanted to communicate to everybody else. Um, Bobby's already said that um, with regards to the kids, they all know where they're going and what they want. They love being in school. They're very focused and very driven. And while we were there the whole time, we had just the joy of spending time with these older boys. Um, there's four of them here. Um, they have been through Bethany. They're in high school. They're through university. They're heading now. And when they're going to university, they're like, um, this is Bobby said. I'm so what are you going to do at university? I'm, I'm going to do brain surgery. I'm going to do neurosurgery. And so they're like, medicine? I'm like, yes, I'm neurosurgery. They were so focused. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. Um, they have no girlfriends. No girlfriends till after university. And we were engaged in their conversations. It's really all about letting them were funny. They were intelligent. They were so hospitable. They were kind natured. But in the evenings when we would sit down at dinner, our conversations inevitably always came back to these boys. Just there was more of them. But they were just, we were blown away by their, um, just, just their, their focus and how lovely they were. Um, two of the boys actually in the region, their, their exam results were in the top 70% in the region. You know, they really were. The school was really quite incredible. And then, then I, you know, you've heard as well, there were other kids around about in the area that didn't go to Bethany, that just didn't. Tithe were, were poor, but not so poor that they could get. So there was a whole big load of kids that, that did get the opportunity to get education and get to school and that that impact was incredible because in God's top we call the world where you know where um where where just things are upside down and and how it just struck me that possibly could it be that maybe the cure for cancer or maybe the um the solutions to world poverty or things like could the glo- could these these ideas be in little brains that never get the chance at education and but it wasn't you the boys were so thankful for their sponsors they would talk about their sponsors they would talk about the letters they wrote and the information they got or the little gifts that they had and they'd always be interested you know do you support your child or do you and and they also want when they when they qualify and get jobs they want to sponsor children they want to impact back in because they have benefited from it um i i've sponsored a child uh, for somebody for years and i I never give them much thought. Money can get in my bank account and that's just it. I have not given a thought about it. Uh, I know it's an NGO, but I did that so many times. And so when they would be telling me their stories about their sponsors and I'd be like, why, why meant they know I'm doing this thing because I'm sponsored by? So, you know, that really impacted me a lot. Um, 20 pounds a month to sponsor a child is, in, is in, uh, five times a week and the impact and the difference that it makes to their lives is incredible. It's, it just... 
it just it's world changing for them and potentially could be world changing for us because who knows uh, where those little goings and lies will go to. Um, Stand by me is just such a really incredible. I was blown away by what they do and there's quite a lot of, of how they impact companies. Um, there's a stand outside. Um, there's little plaques. There's there are still kids who need sponsorship. Um, you know, I, I know we're all in in the there's things in I felt like there's things in Northern Ireland and we all give our time one hundred and one to and I, I just totally appreciate that. But um, if it's something that you're maybe just a little bit interested in, um, lots of us can talk to you about that. But um, there are lots of kids that still need sponsorship. There's plaques outside, and um, come to speak to Jane or myself, any of those top um, actors um, about that if it's something that you'd be interested in as well. Um, and oh, I just wanted to say I don't know whether we'll pass the photographs there, but we got to meet the the sponsor kids that uh, that are Hurt sponsors. Um, yeah, that's Demetri. So he's one of them. There were there are four kids. Um, um, how thankful and grateful are I'm Anna um, as well. Um, and what, what a privilege to meet them and hear their stories. And it's different when you read it in a PR diary, sitting beside somebody and chatting to them and um, hearing their story and hearing how much that um, really their lives have been impacted. And, and the other thing being, of course, because that child will now change the life of their family and their community because they'll go on to get a job and, and finances and they'll impact, impact back into it. At times as own, the whole community benefits from it. So really you're lifting... Um, like the whole community out of poverty, little by little over time. Uh, Jeff and I um, left the team um, two days early, and uh, we drove about two hours back um, rather than um, driving all the way to Dublin. And uh, we we went there for two reasons. One was to um, visit a number of vineyard parties where vineyard folks had established new places had no idea about them had been going for eight years so we went to to visit some of the parties there but the other reason we went there is because jeff was on the vineyard for 10 years and uh, we got a hot shower and uh, we went out to dinner together you know and it was just really nice so we we, we met these these pastors and uh, we spent a day with them and uh, What struck me in my time there is kind of, I guess, the spiritual connection or the spiritual dynamics that that was unusual from what we had. On the one hand, you have uh, a Muslim community. On the other hand, you have a Coptic Christian community. So they really know two things about the church. They chant in an old kind of language that nobody speaks called Amharic, and it's an incredibly traditional and then on the other hand, that's what we had, is the Pentecostal church, which is, uh, which on the one hand is absolutely fantastic, and it's it's this Coptic church that's growing enormously, and uh, and it's absolutely brilliant, doing fantastic stuff, uh, but it's it's quite zany, shall we just say? And um, we went uh, to church on Sunday morning, and. Um, and I felt deeply uncomfortable at one point, and I thought, goodness, if I feel deeply uncomfortable, <laughs> I'm sure others are going to feel the same as well. And, and yet a lot of it was uh, actually brilliant as well, uh, the conversations. And I just thought, goodness, this Vineyard Church has a wonderful opportunity um, to bless uh, these brothers and and uh, to see God doing life uh, being changed. So that was kind of our time there. We're going to draw us to a close.
our desire is that we would continue to sow generously in our schools and churches in our desire is that our schools would impact families encourage our families our desire is over the next number of years will continue to we would love to and i'm sure there will be several of you this morning we're looking for volunteers um, if that's on you we're going to need to find someone hopefully there will be another opportunity 